What is up, everybody? Hope you're doing well. Welcome to the anime podcast of some sort. I'm David Majors, alongside my co-host, Jack McAllister. Yes, we are still making a pause. We're still finding ways to talk about anime, gaming, conventions, and all of that stuff, even though the world has kind of stopped, hasn't it, Jack? We're still here. The world might have stopped, but you know what they say, the need for content is ever-present. The need for content is ever-present and eternal. I know you're out there. Uh, at home, like me, like Jack, and you, you want something to listen to. You want something for your ears, and we're going to do that here on APOS right now. So, let's start this anime podcast with talking about some anime. Now, Jack, I know uh, on some previous episodes, I, I said that I felt like I had a bit of a anime block, and I, I think I've broken it. I think I've broken it, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Uh, you've been watching Beastars, so I'll, I'll let you talk about that one, and then I'll get into how I think I've broken my anime block. So so what's going on with Beastars? Indeed. So uh, I just want to point out before we get too far into things that this and another topic that I'm going to be talking about, their similarities are entirely coincidental, and I don't want to hear the F word. All right? Thank you. That being said... um. So I talked a little bit on Alaska APOS about Beastars, and I was about at the episode three, four mark, and I gotta say, it does get better. Um, I went into it kind of hearing, uh, you know, pretty much the buzz, you know, this is kind of the new hotness after uh, Azekin on it's a Netflix show, so you would imagine the pedigree is there because Netflix has had a pretty excellent streak with anime. Um, I was a little bit put off by the CG art style because that is the kind of person that I am. However, uh, I think they really do find their stride with kind of, uh, tweaking the animation style. There are some traditional segments that are absolutely great to look at. Um, I think in the beginning, they just kind of over animate the characters a little bit too much. It just seems very emotive, but it, kind of takes you out of the illusion this is obviously trying to do uh the sort of uh guilty gear zard uh dragon ball fighters style so you know it's it, it's almost there i just think that um you know it it definitely improves over time the story as well Jack, got a uh, little bit better are you a fan of that stylistic choice of animation the the dragon ball fighters uh guilty gear uh, the the arc systems style as it were are like it's a pretty unique stylistic choice and i'm going to talk a little bit about that like with ghost in the shell later uh how do you feel about that i think it has its place i also think it is not for me because i'm gonna have to just go ahead and admit it like i really i really do prefer traditional and um i do see the need for it i think that um uh, we've talked about Idi Yashiki in the past, and obviously with the design standpoint and how everything uh, works in that show, it just kind of makes sense. Of course, I made my grievances about, okay, random CG dog every once in a while. I see the need for it. Um, and I think when it works on a game screen with a static camera, like before you finish the killing blow, 
in Guilty Gear and they do the fucking, oh, look, we made this in Unity. Here's the camera. Like, I'm totally on board because it really they've got the, um, you know, the line imperfections. They've got the low frame rate. They've really done their job in making the models smear and distort like hand drawn uh, frames and cells. It's just when you move the camera or you move the model just a little bit too much that it just it immediately takes me out of it. It makes me realize, oh, I'm not watching hand-drawn. I'm watching a model. And it, it, it just it's a little bit off-putting for me. And I realize I am probably in the minority for that. I'm, I'm along with that little camp of animator sociopaths that are just, you know, we've got our, our things we're very particular about. And that being said, I still think that Beastars was one of the better anime uh, versions of this technique. This is done by the studio, David, that is responsible for the other CG anime smash hit, Land of the Lustrous. And uh, my girlfriend Haley, friend of the show, uh, was really uh, on point, I think, to mention. That's probably why we're still waiting on season two, because Netflix has got them right now. Uh, but the, the visuals aside, David, um, I think Beastars is pro probably one of the better metaphors with humanoid animals, you know? Um, I think I, I am very particular, you know, I oftentimes criticize, uh, works like Zootopia or some of Don Bluth's stuff, because if you take away the metaphor and you look at it in just animals it doesn't work and uh so the the interesting way of integrating actual biology with these characters and um even if they hammer it home a little bit like you're predator i'm prey and i despise you they're very dramatic about it they're very anime and i think it all it, it's the best executed of this sort of concept of a world of of uh, anthropomorphic animals but it's also still just there's a little bit of something holding me back from it i just don't think it's the gift to god that everybody does but it's very good and i would recommend if you're looking for something a little bit different okay. it's on netflix and uh yeah the segments are quite excellent as well someone had recommended the manga to me i took a look at it i do like the style but i have to say the segments where they get a little bit more dramatic god the the scenes with the drama club uh, someone clearly has been in drama club <laughs> because that's exactly what it's like blood and all. But, um, no, I think that the, the animation, they, they really took it a little bit of a step up from that. Um, maybe if I dig, dive a little bit further into the story past where the anime has gone into the manga, there might be something more there, but right now I'm, I'm recommending that you, uh, maybe give it a, give it a look. And again, the, First three episodes are kind of, mm. okay, I, I have to say, uh, this is my last thought on things. The main character, Legoshi, Legosi, I want to say Legosi. Everybody says Legoshi, it's weird. Um, no relation to Bella, right? <laughs> no relation. No relation to Bella Legosi. Uh, he, I think his internal monologue and everything, his self-loathing and stuff is accurately written. I don't think it's the best written. Maybe I'm just frustrated because he's a little bit too much like me in some ways, but who knows? Uh, form your own opinions. Let me know what you think. I'm 
ever curious as to what people are thinking about this show because it's it's unique. I think it's unique. It definitely doesn't. Yeah, I was going to say unique is important nowadays, especially with anime. Uh, A lot of times, definitely not Zootopia. Uh, but that that is a recommendation for Beastars from you, Jack. And yeah. it, it is on Netflix. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about another Netflix anime in just a second. Uh, because as I said on previous episodes, uh, through 2020, I've had something of an anime block. Uh, not unlike writer's block, to where just anime hasn't really been sticking with me. Uh, I've tried a few things. Uh, but just nothing's really connecting. Uh, so sometimes, as the old saying goes, you've got to go home again. And I've watched a few of the shows that I kind of forgot how much I really appreciated them. I watched a few episodes of C, uh, the Money of Soul and Possibility Control. Uh, and I watched a couple of episodes of my beloved Ergo Proxy. And also just a couple of episodes of Mobile Suit Double Zeta, the sequel to my favorite Gundam series, uh, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam from 1986. Uh, This one was from 1987, right after. And what I was doing was I wasn't trying to binge anything, Uh, but it was just enough, just a few episodes here and there, just to kind of get the engine revving for this medium because I don't know if it was a mix of the seasonal grind and how the fact that I enjoyed so much of what came out in 2019 and how 2020 has been almost a complete dud. Uh, (laughs) It it just, I felt like I needed to do a reset in a lot of ways. Uh, I've said many, many times on multiple podcasts that I'm, very much against the idea of living through your nostalgic favorites. Uh, And I felt like maybe it was time to go home again. And right on cue, uh, it was time to go home again. And the brand new Ghost in the Shell standalone complex uh, 2045 came out on Netflix uh, not too long ago. And I ended up watching the whole darn thing. Uh, yeah. it, it was only 12 episodes, so it wasn't too long. Actually, it was 10 episodes, 10 episodes. So it wasn't too big of a watch. Now, Jack, because it's Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, <laughs> I have opinions. Yes. So I will say this right off the bat. If the 3D animation style is a absolute deal breaker for you, just an absolute no-go, then by all means, I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise. The only thing that I will say is, overall, if that is a problem for you, that is the worst part of the show. I will say that overall, it was fine. It was a short season that was clearly setting up for more of a second season. Uh, A lot similar to Star Trek Discovery in a lot of ways in that regard. In that 
the first season of Star Trek Discovery had a storyline that had a beginning, middle, and an end, uh, but you could definitely tell that things were set up for season two, uh, as well as season two setting up for season three. Uh, in the case of Standalone Complex, it was very much like that. They had a story, but at the end of that story, they immediately were getting ready for the next one, uh, which was kind of how it happened with the the first two seasons of Standalone Complex. Um, this takes place a few years after uh, in the timeline. Uh, so that that was okay. However, the first few episodes of this season of Standalone Complex is where I really, really have a problem. Because there are some positives. They introduce some characters. They plant a few seeds for some character development and some, some future arcs that could go down the line uh, with the Prime Minister, the Japanese Prime Minister, Chris Tato, or Chris Tate. Uh, he's actually an American expat who moved to Japan uh, and ended up becoming Prime Minister. How about that? And a few other things here and there with the United States government and, and Agent Smith is in this version. Yes, he's he's literally Agent Smith. They designed him to look like Hugo Weaving and his name is John Smith. <laughs> and he works for the Amazing. NSA. He works for the NSA. So he's he's literally Agent Smith. Amazing. But the problem, the big glaring problem that I had with the first few episodes of this season was that they introduced a new character into Section 9, which on paper sounds awesome. And his name was Stan, short for Standard. And he was American, and he was actually a black American a black character in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. So I was immediately enthralled with this. And then they just started making him just look like an absolute loser. Like it, they were almost hazing him the entire time. And they gave him the code name Clown. And a, a lot of that just really left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, especially how. When they returned to Japan, they just, they wiped his memory and sent him on his way. And I just felt like that was really, really, it was a bad look on the part of this show. To do that with a new character that wasn't Japanese and then to just totally make him look like an absolute geek. And it was, it wasn't a good look at all. It didn't feel right at all. Oh, I like his design a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's... That's he, really good. You don't see that in anime ever. No, you don't. And th that Man. is one thing I will say about the actual animation itself. The character designs were on point. No, here's what I will say, um, you know, to kind of rescind on my whole it's, it's not for me thing. I definitely see that in not just for limitations for the fact of it's not cost effective to hand draw every animation cell... Uh, it, there are things, there are projects, I think a CG, uh, uh, you know, anime, especially one, you know, ghost in the shell. It's a no brainer. I think that is a, a decent direction to take. And I, I remember seeing the trailer and it wasn't bad for what it was. It and definitely reminds it's me not. more of game graphics than it does a whole show's worth. I think, but My that opinion... being said, no, the design is fine. In my opinion, 
on the whole, the, the animation style is not bad. And I don't think it was a bad stylistic choice. I think the photorealistic settings and set pieces were outstanding. I think the character designs were absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I said, if, if the 3D animation, if you're listening out there, is a deal breaker for you, then, you know, move on. I'm, I'm not going to try and sell you on it. Uh, but you know what this reminds me of actually yeah. is, um, and, and this is topical, uh, Advent children, the, mm. the FF seven film, it, it very much is kind of like, this is game graphics set to a narrative that you are watching rather than interacting with. It can work. Like I said, I think that there, if you have more of a direction you're going with it, it can work. Um, you know, it just depends. No, I really like Standard's design. That is such a dang shame. Yeah, they, they kind of jobbed him out about five episodes in, and that, that sucks. And now, they, that would hit they, you differently, yeah. If they bring him back in season two, then okay, I'll, I'll keep open to it, but go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, so this, this would be, you know, a different circumstance than, say, uh, Tyler, the creator, on something like Squidbillies, where he openly mentions okay we want this character to be down to earth we don't want him to be impossibly cool he's gonna be a goober he's gonna be black and he's gonna you know be the main character of the show kind of thing and i haven't seen squidbillies and probably never planned to but i respect that standpoint of you know making characters out of you know all kinds of people but this is different this is totally different this seems more like it's you know, he's the butt of the joke rather yeah. than this was an intentional, yeah, this is meant to humanize him and that sort of thing. So there are ways. Again, I haven't seen Squidbillies, but that was a intended choice from Tyler, the creator. So. Uh, and, yeah. and I'm really glad you, you said that he was made to be the butt of the joke because that's really how it felt. And it really put something about this season and, and maybe the entire standalone complex series as a whole it puts something uh, about the show uh, in a microscope and that the show itself has a very very japanese nationalistic bend uh the all not even three... to speak of the scarjo movie <laughs> not even not even it like that, it, that was it doesn't thing. even compare like when I'm talking about the Japanese nationalistic bend, uh, the the movie doesn't compare. Uh, and when I say nationalistic, I actually mean like nationalism. Uh, the Japanese government uh, seems to be the idea of them losing their way in favor of globalization. Uh, what there is a cyber terrorist who believes that. Tate is an American puppet, and it turns out he's not. Uh, and just a lot of things that were not just nationalistic for Japan, but very anti-American. And to a degree, I can understand that coming from Japan's perspective. But unlike, unlike previous seasons of Standalone Complex, this really laid it on thick. Uh, and it wasn't as overt uh, in previous seasons. Like in 
in this universe, uh, because it's in the future and there's another world war and all of this, uh, the United States is actually the American Empire, where it's essentially North America uh, and South America kind of co-affiliated and they're the American Empire. And that Japan, to a degree, understandably, sees the United States with that imperialistic bend, even though Japan has no room to talk when it comes to imperialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that maybe because it wasn't as subtle as it was in previous seasons, that kind of bugged me a little bit. And I think that the way that Stan uh, was utilized as a character really put that into focus for me. Like they, they really kind of made him to be not just the butt of the joke, but kind of a scrub in some ways. And, and yeah, you could say that when they, they let him go back to America after wiping his memory, uh, the major and Bato both said, yeah, he wasn't that bad after all. He was okay. That, that doesn't make up for it. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. Uh, that was my big, big gripe about the show in that the overarching storyline of the idea of the American Empire uh, sending a, a puppet to Japan uh, who eventually becomes their prime minister... But then suddenly has a face turn, and no, he loves Japan. He cares about Japan. And now the United States owes us a favor. That was a little weird. I can understand the audience it's going for. I understand. But from my perspective, specifically in the case of Stan, it was a little... I didn't much care for it. But overall, I will say that... I thought this was pretty okay. I have. So you're looking forward to the next season? I am. I am. I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed the live action movie, which is to say, I didn't hate the live action movie. I don't. I don't even think it's worthy. It was a C plus. Yeah, I said it was a C plus. It was not worthy of a, a angry YouTube reviewer. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't a masterpiece either. It was definitely not the next in a line of hideously awful anime adaptations, but I don't think it was the step in the right. It wasn't the Sonic movie of anime adaptations. We'll put it no. that way. No. no. <laughs> There's our benchmark for the rest of human history. But at the same time, it was not Dragon Ball Evolution. I, I, yeah, I had fun with it. And I... I, I, I <laughs> I actually think it might I actually think it might be right in the middle. I think between Dragon Ball Evolution and the Sonic movie, I'd say the Ghost in the Shell live action is the the medium. It's right dead center. We've got our scale then. There you go. On a there scale of of Dragon Ball Evolution or Last Airbender to uh to Sonic the Hedgehog, how good is your adaptation? Or you have the the kind of negative, like so off the mark, but uniquely its own thing. Like I would argue the Mario Brothers movie, where it kind of comes around to being positive, but you would technically count that as a negative. Well, the Mario movie is dripping in '90s cheese, so 
It's I as as a it's on a different love. It's on a different Mario and everything. I still think that you know all differences aside and everything. It's it's entertaining. And my God, I'm not going to uh, you know let Bob Hoskins near death and you know all the times he was lit on fire and fell from a great height with John Leguizamo. I'm not going to let any of that go to waste. Oh, rest in peace, my hero. Not at all, man. Uh, so everybody, my take on Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045, uh, if I'm going to give it a grade, I will give it a B minus. Because the That's stuff exactly about what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> because the stuff about Stan really bugged me. But that takes I, it down a letter grade. I expect the next season to be much, much better. Yeah, especially considering that plot point you mentioned. Like, either they have the potential to bring him back in a big way or, you know, rectify whatever, you know, nonsense was going on with that. But I have I have the best hopes for that. And, you know, uh, considering the reasoning I kind of gave myself here of it, it sort of looks like a game trailer. It looks like Advent Children, that sort of thing. You know... I like the I like the movies. I might take a look. I would say that it is on. It is better than the higher end Netflix animes that are done in this style. Indeed. And oh man, I, I will tell you guys right now about in regards to CG animated properties with limited frame rates. I'm sorry, Dragon Prince is, looks bad to me. I can't tell what's going on. It's all the same color. It uses the same bad color grading as Marvel films. Uh, mm. The frame rate is like when I'm trying to play Skyrim with every mod installed. It's just mm, no thank you. I'm sorry. And also, you know, I, I'm i trying and I have to do it in installments because it is quite intense. I am watching The Witcher. So my boxes are checked for D&D pastoral adventure. I'm going to be fine. And also I can just play D&D because it's quarantine. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, I guess we're all doing our our various social gatherings over the interwebs now. Don't use Zoom, people. It oh is Oh god, don't use Zoom. I hate is, Zoom. And it is insanely insecure. Don't use Zoom. Please. It's insecure. Do not. It's so intensive on your computer. Yeah, I have uh <laughs> I have not been happy with my class sessions. <sighs> Zoom, Zoom sucks. Don't use it. Uh, but yeah, Zoom's bad. You mentioned Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. I was talking about Ghost in the Shell. And, well, let's talk about the one of three video games literally everyone is playing. Everyone. <laughs> uh, I, I oh, personally have seen about 15 different streams and YouTube playthroughs of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I, with a friend, played Doom Eternal, and I've gotten enough peripheral information on Animal Crossing New Horizons. I, I find just everything about that game incredibly fascinating. Just everything it's surrounding It's such a strange meta community, and I do want to get into that with you, David, because I have learned some things in joining this franchise in a very late date post-internet world this post-modern world the year of our base god 2020 it's a weird ride but 
by all means, Final Fantasy VII, it seems to be, you know, that's the big, that was a big ticket. It take it took how many years? It's om- been almost a decade, it seems. Uh, it was, was like six years, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's on the higher end of game development timeline. It's, oof. I will say, um, the graphics, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I think there was no question of it that there is a lot of work done there. Um, all the memes, all the, you know, oh man, can't wait to see this in HD, horrible poly render of cloud T posing. Like, uh, it really, you know, despite my feelings on what installment of the series, installments really, uh, should have gone with a remaster. Uh, cause literally you could have done six, eight, nine, and I would have been happier with this. Uh, you know, this looks eight. amazing. Yeah. Eight, please. Six and then eight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it. I. I think yesterday I took a look at the render for Jehovah and or Genova, not Jehovah. Damn. I'm. I'm a little uncomfortable, but in the best of ways. It's absolutely realizing the illustrations of you know the initial concepts and everything. It's just. It's a completely different world. So tell uh, as. As a visual David, experience, how's the gameplay? as a visual experience, it is exceptional. Uh, mm-hmm. Gameplay-wise, uh, it f- has moments where, uh, especially with Tifa, uh, it almost comes close to playing a platinum action game with multiple characters, and that is terrific. Uh, the boss fights are hard and satisfying, uh, like a boss fight should be. Uh, the battles are not easy, uh, nor should they be, uh, and and it makes something that I've always had a problem with in role playing games grinding not so much of a well grind. A <laughs> grind. Uh, also, uh, I would say that just the moments in the game itself uh, they speak for themselves. There are so many little things that you remember from the game that have been put into a modern feel that are just fantastic. I don't have to tell anybody out there about the Honeybee Inn. You've seen it already. You know it's fantastic. Like Cloud said, yes, it's great. They nailed it. Moving on. But I, what I've really enjoyed is the the meta discussion of the game. Because I'm probably one of the people that absolutely loved the ending of this installment of Final Fantasy VII Remake because uh, I've been seeing some interesting discussions on this in that when they used the word remake in the title of this game, people were expecting a one-to-one skin-up of Final Fantasy VII. And... That is not what they did. They're doing something very, very interesting, Jack, uh, with the idea of remake being the key word here. And I really, really like what I'm doing. I've said many, many times, Tetsuya Nomura is fucking insane. Yes, he is. I think this time uh, he has jumped back to being a genius with what he's done with Final Fantasy VII Remake. 
and with the ending of the game and the whispers and the arbiters of fate, uh, emphasis on the word remake, I find it fascinating, the, the artistic choice that they're making. I can definitely see why some diehard Final Fantasy VII fans are not happy with the artistic choices that they made, but I really commend Square Enix for doing what they've done because it is it is really interesting. I'm really interested in how the next installment outside of Midgar is going to go. Uh, we might not see it for another five years. Yeah, but, welcome to, uh, we'll see you in 2030. But I'm glad that they did what they did. I'm very glad that this was not a one-to-one reskin of Final Fantasy VII. And really I think that's really good. Too. That is really good because... I, I have to say, um, just based off of knowing that, and I didn't know that 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 was uh, the direction they had taken. I don't know if it, it would be as much of a pull because now you have you know that buzz will happen. People will kind of hear about it. You know, they're here. Oh wow, they they changed it somehow. Well, now I got to see how it's changed. So even if people aren't necessarily on board with the changes at the very least you have people talking and that might encourage others to get their and, eyes on it and if you haven't played the game yet and if you're interested just remember the emphasis is on the word remake just keep that in mind when you're playing through the game the emphasis is on remake uh jack also I've been playing uh, and watching Doom Eternal, which came out on the same day as Animal Crossing. Uh, yes, it did. The Dichotomy of Man. The Dichotomy uh, of Man. Isabel heading out for some practice shots. And the Doom Marine growing some flowers. And <laughs> so good. I will say, with full disclosure, uh, given that the quarantine is what it is, uh, we've all been trying to find things to relieve stress, relieve anxiety, uh, uh, curb the agitation with the state of the world. And Doom Eternal uh, was maybe the best cure for my existential agitation through all of this. Uh, Mick Gorton's music, again, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he is right now my favorite composer in video games. Uh, and he absolutely killed it once again. Uh, the the tone for the game is absolutely on point. Uh, when I was playing, it was I, I felt the adrenaline. Uh, it felt faster than the last game, and and that's really exciting. Uh, watching it, <laughs> I'll admit it, everybody. Um, certain things that are legal in the state of Michigan uh, that can you know, be something of a mind-altering experience, were really enjoyable when watching playthroughs of Doom Eternal. Uh, it went back to my idea of relieving stress and anxiety. And for whatever reason, uh, seeing the Marine kill demons and aliens from Mars or wherever they were came coming from, it was extremely calming and extremely satisfying. So here I am, like a, a PC gamer bro in 1995, <laughs> enjoying Doom. 
I, I don't blame you at all. Uh, from California can also confirm with uh, similar substances that, uh, yeah, recently, uh, Corona relief done quick. There was a run of Doom Eternal on the uh, roster. Uh, I think it was sandwiched between, oh God, what was it? I know it was at, I know it was before Super Mario Odyssey, which is just like again the duality of man. <laughs> but uh, it is marvelous. And talk about fast. You are right. I believe the run is about a half an hour. So it's it is a very adrenaline pumping game. And it looks amazing. I would say in a weird, gruesome sense, it is almost gorgeous. Emphasis on gore. <laughs> they put the gore in gorgeous. There it is. <laughs> put put that on the box and sell it. Manslaughter also spells men's laughter. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, Doom Eternal, it is... Very satisfying in a very raw and visceral way. And Slimy yet satisfying. I need the soundtrack yesterday. Because I yeah. have an absolute mark for Mick Gordon. He, he did Killer Instinct. He did both Doom oh, games. Yeah. The dude is absolutely on fire. Uh, now, Jack, let's get into oh, yes. the game that has been uh, creeping all over my timeline. <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons. Oh, yes. So, um, yeah, I talked about it a little bit last time because uh, I am new to the series. And uh, so after kind of uh, basically clocking in every day a little bit at a time to see what's going on, um, there's a lot going on. So if you have any questions about the community, David, I'd be happy to answer them. But I'd like to take you on a little bit of a tour of kind of what's new to the game because there was a recent update uh, for Earth Day or Nature Day as they call it in the game. This is apparently something that's been in the game for a while. Uh, they do a lot of Earth Day related things. Th then I will say I will let you take over. Ah, diddly action Jackson. Br brilliant. Well, um, this new update brings in uh, bushes. <laughs> this is going to be very mundane sounding, but it's all actually quite exciting when you're trying to, you know, decorate the dang thing. Um, there's a new character who uh, is returning from other series, a sloth named Leaf, uh, spelled L-E-I-F, and uh, he can sell you uh, special flower seeds, special bushes, and you can basically make uh, a little bit more complete gardens and whatnot. Uh, there's special achievements. The game works kind of like a phone app or like regular game achievements since the Switch does not have achievements. Rest in pieces. Um, there are things called Nook Miles that you accumulate. And basically any time that you pick weeds or fish or, you know, tend your flowers, anything, uh, it will take in the in-game counter. And after you reach a certain milestone, you will make miles and you can use those to travel much like actual plane miles or just buy extra stuff to put around because it's a game about stuff um and they have extra uh kind of like earth friendly things like if you plant trees you'll get five times as many miles for it this time around um my most favorite update uh based off of some of my research into some of the game's characters is the new art museum exhibit of course the artist would love this um there's a little owl character named blathers who curates a museum where you can bring in all of the flora and fauna that you catch bring him bugs he loves bugs totally it, 
just uh, lights it up on his face. He absolutely adores them. Give him tarantulas. Give him uh, wharf roaches. Everything. <laughs> I'm so mean. But uh, he's he announces that there is now going to be a, a new installation that you can bring in art for. And the only way it is reported in game that you can get art is from a shady character who is also returning from old games named Red the Fox. Formerly known as Crazy Red, yes, from Dante's Inferno. He's rebranded himself as Jolly Red and has this, uh, we'll call it a quaint uh, little trawler that he's uh, parked out on your private beach. And <laughs> I like how um, the internet has basically consolidated him into, hey, buddy, do you want to buy Michelangelo's David? $6,000. Don't ask where I got it from. <laughs> So you got a black market art market here and uh, basically you got to make sure that you don't get scammed. Um, I, as of right now, uh, do not know if his appearance is completely random or if he'll make more of a regular visit. But David, as I learned about this new update and wanted to kind of learn about these characters, I came across a very strange thing. I'm going to tell you three words and I just want you to know that I didn't think they could go together in this order either. Animal All Crossing right. lore. There is lore for the characters and cast of Animal Crossing. I, I I'm, did not know. Because, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, because I have just this strange philosophical issue with with animal crossing on the whole i want to know about the lore okay i will let tell you know about, about the, the lore. lore tell me about this <laughs> damn lore in animal crossing it's so strange to me because on paper it actually checks a lot of my boxes about how juxtaposition is it's no surprise to people who know about me and know and have been watching my feed i really like the character of tom nook because he's just so not in line with the happy, you know, animal aesthetic. He's just like, hey, you owe me money now. You know, he's very, it's such an interesting juxtaposition to me. So apparently the news is, and this is from previous games, uh, Tom will confide in you after a certain amount of time that he used to uh, have dreams when he was naive, much like the player character. And he set out to the big city to make a change in his life. And it's basically implied that he was swindled for every bell he owned by a fox. And he had to return to town with his tail between his legs and uh, basically scrape himself up, do the whole bootstraps thing that all these capitalists like to talk about. And that that's fine. That was fascinating in and of itself to think, OK, there's a little bit of, you know, some some shady activity there. But there's even more, David. I don't know if you've seen uh, the tailors, the little hedgehog tailors, one of which is blue. No relation. Uh, the Able Sisters are. Yes, I, I did see yes. that particular one. Yes. No so one told me about. <laughs> well, I'm telling you now, now David, uh, there are three sisters, actually. Uh, the Able Sisters. There's Mabel. The older sister, Sable, and then their uh, estranged sister, LaBelle. Her real name is Label, but she goes by LaBelle. When they were young, uh, when Mabel was too young to remember, uh, 
the sister's parents died in a car crash. And in their distress, uh, LaBelle basically distances herself from the family and she heads out to the big city to try and become a fashion designer uh and in the meantime mabel being too young to look after herself sable takes on the responsibility and raises her little sister alone and so if you talk to them in the tailor shop she's very very quiet for the most part and there were a couple times where she mentioned oh well if we had another set of hands around here almost Kind of implying, like, wow, I wish our sister was still here. And she has shown up. She hasn't mentioned anything about her sisters yet, but she has mentioned she's trying to make it big, and it doesn't seem like it's going that well. It's interesting to me how this game kind of takes a direction of not everybody is right at the top of the food chain, you know? Some people are still uh, having to travel with their wares and stuff. But that, I don't know. I... The thing the thing about me, David, is if you bring me into a world of happy, cute animals, I'm going to look for that kind of stuff. I'm going to look for the car crashes. I'm going to look for the smoking gun where Bambi's mom died. And that was I very surprising to me you. to find. I that was so mind-blowing. So what is this existential issue that you have with Animal Crossing? Because I might I'm be glad- able to answer it for you. I'm glad you brought up the point about looking for things that aren't necessarily cute and and friendly in Animal Crossing, because the more I've been seeing people talk and play about this game, the more that I realize it is very much not for me, uh, because I know that I would have that itch to do the same thing. And everything that I've been seeing from people on my timeline is that they all kind of want to stay in kind of the cute and friendly little world where maybe the characters here and there are a little quirky and a little weird, but there's nothing that's genuinely, genuinely challenging. There's no edge. Right, right. And what I realized, and and I tweeted about this a couple of days ago uh, from the the great Gail Simone uh, inspiring it, is that for me it was like, there was always something about what I was seeing from Animal Crossing and the people playing it that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And then I realized that the entire meta conversation about around Animal Crossing and the way people play it is really a microcosm of millennial angst. And that's what I've been seeing so much of from people that are playing this game it is that modern day existential grind of just how are we going to make it? Uh, it is the capitalist grind that we all go through, except with Animal Crossing, it's kind of on easy mode. And it's polished yes. up and cleaned and put into a very Nintendo, very kawaii polish for people that want that and need that and find comfort in that kind of aesthetic. And like you mentioned, and like I've other seen other people mention about Tom Nook, uh, a lot of people really appreciate him for what he is. Uh, I had originally thought that he was, well, like a mafia don, like, give me my money or there's going to be <laughs> That's a That's why I imagine him in my mind. 
like and, this is totally an offshore thing to you know relocate and <laughs> get off the heat <laughs> and well you are on an island right yeah. Uh, but it was explained to me that no, uh, it, it's more like y- you can pay him when you need to or when you can or when you want to. And yes. in, in many ways, he was the exact opposite of the greedy landlord, as it were. And mm-hmm. when that was explained to me, it was like, oh, I see. And the game just kind of lets you do what you want. There's no objectives, it seems like. There's no overarching goals or objectives. And you're just kind of living in this little space where you're in control of everything and everything's okay and everything's cute and everything's kawaii and everything's friendly or a little quirky and and everything's just kind of okay. And that's when I realized this game just is not for me at all because it's really off-putting to me. It was all, it's very accommodating to the player. Yeah. It's a little, there's no real challenge. I will say that. It's definitely something you do while you're listening to something else, you know, maybe you're focusing on other things. I have uh, plowed through a good portion of the office for the first time in my life. That's quarantine, baby. Uh, going through this game as well. It's it's a game that you don't grind levels, you know. You can grind in this game. You can grind resources. But, uh, uh, David, to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, it to me, the experience that I'm really drawn by with the uh, gameplay style that it is inviting, um, the, the so often vilified casual style i don't see it as a bad thing what this is to me as a creative individual is an art tool you know it doesn't really matter it isn't the same as me actually you know putting pen to paper and making something of my own mind or whatever it but it is something that you can decorate you can you know tweak the aesthetics of everything there is an art kind of mario paint style application in the game you can make your own clothes you can make all kinds of stuff so yeah it really it's it's less of a game i would say and it's more of i don't want to call it a dress-up game or something like that but it's uh it's like you're making a diorama and you can also make your neighbors (laughs) i'm gonna diorama yeah it's it's a very interesting you know i'm finding that aspect of it very relaxing it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off if i you know want to take a 15 minute break i can kind of go okay i'm gonna make my gardens a little bit better i'm gonna do this or that there are some goals i will say um but you know again they are kind of arbitrary right now um i am working on making my four star island into a five star island which you know takes some work it takes some decorations some careful planning of where you're going to put your parks your furniture everything so yeah there there's some things to do but yeah it is not defeat the monster uh or anything like that and i am finding my outlets of that elsewhere but for what the game is i i will say um yeah it is a it is an aesthetic purely aesthetic experience which some people will not want because there isn't really much more to it uh 
I will say, though, David, you also bring up an interesting point about how everything is so happy. Um, and and there has actually been a bit of the community. Yes. And here's where I'm going to dive a little bit deeper. And uh, Jack and listeners out there, if you're familiar with the second Matrix movie, The Matrix Reloaded, uh, there is a part in that movie where Neo uh, is talking with the architect. I believe it's in the third act where he mentions that the Matrix, as it was seen in those movies, was not the original Matrix program. Uh, in the original Matrix program that the machines designed for humans, it was kind of a perfect utopia. And humans rejected it because they knew that a perfect utopia just wasn't the right fit. It just wouldn't work that way. And that's kind of how I feel about this game. It's just a little too accommodating. It's, it is a yes. game with, I guess, if I'm playing something, I would like something with a little bit of a challenge. Not necessarily beating a boss or killing a monster, but something to where I feel like I can achieve a goal. And everything I've seen with Animal Crossing is that you're not really achieving goals, you're just doing stuff. Uh. Uh, you are not alone in that. There are actually players from previous installments that have mentioned, uh, not really universally, some people don't mind, but there's there's a pretty vocal chunk of people talking about how the villagers are too nice this time around. And uh, being my uh, you know purveyor of speedrunners as I am, I have seen a speedrun of the original Animal Crossing, where you pay off all your debts as quickly as possible. Um, and... In that game, it is a much it, it's the similar it's a similar you know base experience, but there are characters who don't want to open up to you. You know the cranky villagers are actually cranky. Uh, you kind of need to uh, establish yourself for a bit. For God's sakes, the game starts and you have to work at Nook's cranny for a bit. You know Nook tells you, all right, you got to change into your uniform and you got to do this, and you have to do it until you can progress it's it's a different slightly tweaked version of it there was a bit of an edge and the main consensus i see from a lot of veteran fans is make the villagers mean again uh so there is some i don't know there's a there's a need for a bit of the edge which is why i'm happy that uh the aforementioned red has returned to kind of give a little bit of illegitimacy to the whole deal um yeah, it, it is a very, um, it is an experience where you're very unfettered by, you know, oh, I have to do this. Uh, the game has some urgency with some time sensitive stuff, but yeah, no. Uh, I've also been playing Transistor in the meantime, which is an entirely different game, you know, more of an SRPG strategy adventure game. And I think I've been reaching to it, uh, because of the Art Deco aesthetic that I love so much, but also because that is also a game similar to this one where I find a similar satisfaction in taking a plan and executing it. But there's obviously more stakes involved with something like Transistor. You know, a false move can 
you know, hurt you or whatnot. There, you know, it is a really weird world. And I did not know going into this game that I would come out finding uh, that people are different about the game than I had expected. But I think you have it absolutely right, right that this is... At the very least, it's completely transparent with millennials all going, wait, I can own a house and I don't have to pay it off <laughs> in a certain amount of time. Well, sign me and the rest of America up. Right. Yeah. Uh, and li like in the Matrix, you know, that, that just isn't real, man. It's just not real. Nope. nope. Sometimes your uh, your landlord is hiding from what were they? Akitas, I think the cops in previous games were Akitas, and uh, then his mm. old business partner shows up to be like, "Hey, I've got the Starry Night. You want it? Four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that would be another story. That'd be something yes. we could really dive into. But let's dive into Corona Relief done quick, Jack. You, you mentioned oh, yes. this for a second. Let's dive into this. Yeah. Uh, so um, I have I'm part of notification squad for the speed demos archive games done quick and all that. And as you might know, they uh, do bi yearly uh, tri yearly events now because of uh, TwitchCon. I believe they had the GDQX event for that weekend, which was very interesting. Well, right now they are doing a uh, special uh event called Corona Relief Done Quick and unlike their previous events uh, where it goes to Medicine Sans Frontieres, Doctors Without Borders or Prevent Cancer Foundation this is going to the Direct Relief Fund and, and from the Direct Relief page this is directly in response to the COVID-19 outbreak and you can track on their donation tracker they have been focusing on producing medicine doses to uh, counteract the shortages, uh, producing masks, getting medical aid. And right now they have accrued $252 million in medical aid, which amounts to 1,866 pounds of medicine and supplies and 65 million doses of medicine. Uh, GDQ has, I believe they've partnered with them for this event and like i've said there have been plenty of great runs some really unique ones as far as this goes too because with the advent of every runner being at home uh they can kind of spread their wings a little bit do some unusual categories there's been the aforementioned doom eternal run uh super mario sunshine uh super mario odyssey which i haven't watched yet and there was a Ocarina of Time randomizer run, which those are usually um, kind of reserved for in between the GDQ events. They usually kind of have like a bingo or a uh, a randomizer to kind of, you know, keep you sated in the off months. But this was really cool to see. And it's absolutely like once again, I just have to say every time that I think about the work that GDQ puts in to just it's a really great positive effort. I can't speak highly enough of Games Done Quick and Speed Demos Archive. You guys are just amazing. Absolutely. They're great. Um, donate when you can. Support them if you can. Watch their streams. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, as someone who always makes sure to go to... Anytime there's a Sonic block, I always make oh, sure yeah. to check them out for any of their marathons that they do. Uh, and they oh, do yeah, Sonic Mania work. was there. Yeah, hell yeah. 
I did a uh, Sonic Mania run fairly early on. I think right after the 100% Donkey Kong Country run. Again, kind of an unusual run. Some really great stuff. And people were getting really in-depth. And like always, you can catch their backlog and the uh, restream on YouTube. And of course, they've got their uh, foreign language alternatives as well. So if you need German, you need Spanish, have at it. All right, Jack. Let's move away from doing something for a good cause to doing something in the name of the almighty dollar. It's time to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion, or or at least talk around it. Uh, mm-hmm. The great YouTuber, Red Bard, uh, came across a video uh, of a PSA uh, for HIV and AIDS. Uh, starring- it's actually better than that. It's it's not so much as stumbling across it. Uh, she got into contact with Tiffany Grant, who had right. this, and graciously gave her the audio. <laughs> Fantastic, Jack. Please, so, expound so Tiffany, for Tiffany, the posse, yes. will you? <laughs> All right. Um, so Spike Spencer, uh, otherwise known as the voice of uh, Shinji Ikari, everybody's favorite fictional male character clearly and tiffany grant the original voice of asuka in neon genesis evangelion uh worked on some voiceover work together and there was there were rumors going around for quite some time on uh various commentary dvds and other sorts of events and stuff uh that there was a lost psa to do with um aids and hiv that starred Spike Spencer and Tiffany Grant. And it was lost because they were asked to record for it. And they were close. And they had obviously worked close before in a, you know, a show with fairly intimate relationships. So the complaint that they received back for this PSA was that their sounds, while they are imitating the act of lovemaking was just a little too real for radio far too real we'll say and uh i would highly recommend taking a look for it it is now not just I on wouldn't. The, the red button well no no probably not but uh yeah no it's 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 quite it's rife for the memes let's say right now as red bard also mentioned uh there is nothing to laugh at about aids or hiv but Boy, am I going to laugh real hard about how it so clearly sounds like Shinji and Asuka are having sex. And, <laughs> and then you get you get this um, over voice, uh, this voiceover of a man saying one of these teens is killing the other because one of them has HIV and is transmitting it and doesn't even know it. And it's just. make your memes ladies and gentlemen we're off to the races there's some more material to be had this will be the new dan green cluck like a chicken no doubt spike had always gone on record saying it's gonna come up one way or another but he had no idea how or why and again props to tiffany grant for being such a great sport uh you know kudos to red bard for doing the research finding this you know pinpointing this is good good old-fashioned memory going on and please please do not read we had enough of memes jack no haven't we had enough of memes no that's quarantine baby (laughs) people are starting to ingest bleach again 
No! Again, Jack! Not again! Listen, that was an edgy joke in 2010 that you told someone to drink bleach. Don't do it! I'll phone children's aid! Please don't ingest bleach or disinfectant people. Don't do it. Not to get political or anything, but don't take any strange medications just because you think uh, you have nothing to lose. And and also, uh, the Bleach anime has come back, everybody. Oh, no! Like, don't drink that either. No, don't. 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 Don't consume Bleach of Listen, any kind. Uh, I, I, I'll say the art in the manga is better, but don't. Don't. You know what's going. You already know what the hell's going on. That's all I need to say. This This is what being quarantined and being stuck at home is doing to people, Jack, uh, amongst other... How can we help people to do something fucking constructive with their time? God's sakes. Yeah, honestly. I think the first thing we need to do is stop being so, well, if you don't do this, 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 and this on this arbitrary checklist, you don't have the discipline. Like, take things at your own pace, but at the God, at the very least, try and make some baseline of normalcy, you know, with your own. You are responsible for your own actions, ladies and gentlemen. I've actually been thinking about something uh, just kind of based off of how I've been observing my friends behaving, how I've been sort of seeing as a general social uh, change, because these are strange times, as everyone is calling them, strange and unusual times. Ain't that the half of it? And I have a prediction for anime, David. So I want you to see if you agree with me. But I have a feeling that in the wake of this, uh, as anime production, as uh, fiction stories kind of come out after this is uh going on and i think we're gonna see a bit of a boom in slice of life i really do i think that the fact that people are romanticizing a game where you're indebted but you get to roam around on an island and still talk to people speaks volumes about the experiences that we're lacking and i think there will be a market for that I think there will be tons of people going, you mean to tell me that I get to watch this show where people are spending time with one another and they're in person and having a good time and learning to navigate life's worries? I think that's going to be a major boom. Do I like it? Hmm. Let me think about that. What do you think, David? Do you think this is accurate or are you anticipating something else in the wake of the pandemic? Uh, here's what I'm hoping for, because I honestly think you might be on to something. Uh, but given my general feelings on the slice of life genre, uh, what I'm hoping for is something akin to the anime boom of the 80s. Uh, in the 80s, there was a massive boom, thanks to the Japanese economy, going through a rise of wildly artistic and wildly creative anime uh, coming in the 80s and into the 90s. And I think you can make a case that, say, the last 20 years or so, 
anime has kind of become, and I've said this before, it's become a little bit too corporate. It's become a little bit too marketable. It's become a little bit too much of a product to sell and not necessarily a piece of art. I feel like what I would like to see coming out of this is more artists and more creators going beyond their typical conventions, going beyond their block, as it were. I'd like to see the possibility of maybe something like an Akira coming out of nowhere, yeah. like it did in 1989. Uh, or or, or yeah. things like Bubblegum Crisis or Dirty Pair. Just kind of that explosion of wildly creative, pop. different anime. And that is what I'm hoping for. But I do believe, Jack, you're definitely on to something. Because I feel like, despite my feelings, uh, people are going to be looking for things that remind them of normalcy. And things that remind them of comfort. Do I? Do I agree with that? Do I subscribe to that mindset? No. I would prefer something that is a little more challenging. I would prefer something that is a little more outside of the box, but I definitely see where you're coming from. I'm hoping there are more examples like Paprika and examples like, not my favorite show, Revolutionary Girl Utena, that are more creative and more expansive than the slice of life genre. I... Absolutely agree. Um, I think that there are some standout examples. I believe you could consider Keep Your Hands Off Asakin a slice of life as it is documenting a certain slice of these girls' life. Um, but really, I guess that kind of comes down to any sort of nonfiction. I think Kids on the Slope is another excellent, technically considered slice of life anime. But those are the exceptions rather than the rule. These are very exceptional. And also, stories about well-written, compelling Azekin, characters. Yes. to its credit, uh, made some interesting artistic choices as well, which very much does, so. doesn't always happen in slice-of-life shows. And Kids on the Slope had the advent of, first of all, Shinichiro Watanabe. Bless that man. Everything he makes is easily one of my favorites. But uh, it also has the, the musical motif to it. So... I guess what we're both saying is there needs to be a slice of life with something to it. And I absolutely agree. Definitely with it, my Jack. own direction of things. Yes. Slice of life with a little spice. Slice of life with a little spice. Slice of life a la mode. There we uh, go. I like with some spice. I'd rather it have some spice. With some spice. It, it makes it makes the it makes the rhyme. Yeah. Maybe slice of life a la mode as if it's like edgy or something. Maybe you don't want that. No, no. Yeah. I don't want that. <laughs> no, do not want and to to agree, yes. As we say, three D is better than two D all the time. Amen. Uh well, Jack, I think we pretty much covered everything that there is to cover on this episode of the oh, yeah. anime podcast of some sort. Jack, tell everybody what you've got going on, since I can't bring you back oh, yeah. to Twitter. No, uh, that is 
uh, a long and arduous journey to somebody want to help me please unban <laughs> steam please unban um go ahead and check out my work i'm obviously drawing a lot of animal crossing stuff but again i'm trying to kind of take it a little on the edge i'm also doing my own stuff kind of tweaking with some art style some art memes at duck behind the wheel on instagram please check out my coffee as well and my link tree there if you do or also my patreon at jack McAllister art because i've recently made a new coffee goal and <laughs> Um, I will be making it live fairly shortly. So if you're interested, feel free to uh, pop a little something, something that way. And if not, I'm just happy to have people have their eyes on my art, you know, because like you said, David, like your hopes are for the future. So are mine that regardless of the medium, artists are out there and they're doing something wild. They're doing something different. They're doing something crazy. And we all get to see it. Because can you call it a return to normalcy, David, if we never got normal to begin with? Food for thought. What good is normal anyway, everybody? Normal is a setting on the dryer, according to a questionable film that I regret seeing. Jack McAllister Art and Duck Behind the Wheel on Instagram. <laughs> and all right, and other everybody. pearls of wisdom. You all know my stuff. I won't give you the deal. Uh, thanks for listening to the anime podcast of some sort, everybody. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give us the old positive review on Apple Podcasts. Do it for Jack. I know I'm a jerk, but Jack's great. Uh, thank you for listening. And we'll have conversations about all of this stuff in the not-too-distant future. Take care. Be safe.